Hi everyone, this is Jessica Chen and you are listening to the Communicating Confidently podcast. Each episode is meant to teach and inspire you to find new ways to level up your speaking skills. Because here's the truth, it's possible and I'm so thrilled you're here. If you enjoyed this podcast, please hit the follow button and share this episode with your friends and family. Now let's get into it. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Communicating Confidently podcast. Today's episode is about unlearning silence, speaking up at work. My guest today is Elaine Lynn Herring, who's the author of the book, Unlearning Silence, How to Speak Your Mind, Unleash Talent, and Live More Fully. We're going to be talking about how we can better speak up in the workplace, but also acknowledging how hard it sometimes can be too, where we second guess ourselves, where because we're so considerate of our environment, the people there, how we're coming off that as a result, sometimes we mute ourselves. So we're going to be talking about it all as well as including some tactical communication strategies. So if you're ready, let's dive in. Elaine, welcome to our Soulcast Media Live event. Thanks for having me, Jessica. So fun to be here. So for those of you who um, are probably meeting us and Elaine for the first time, why don't you do a a quick intro, Elaine, of who you are, the work you do? I know I just gave a quick intro of the book that you have coming out, but we would love to learn a little bit more about you. Totally. I will start with some of my identities. So I'm the youngest daughter of a family that immigrated from Taiwan to the United States. And I say that because the experience of being an immigrant, the experience of being female, the experience of being the youngest in the Asian family, all contributes, as I imagine you might also know, to why silence might even be on my radar. So I went to law school, I went to Harvard Law School intending to be a litigator. It was one of the good life choices as a good Asian child. And instead of litigating, came across negotiation, pedagogy, and theory. And so ended up teaching leadership development skills around negotiation, having difficult conversations and feedback for more than a decade. But in that process also realized there are some people, no matter how good, the leadership training is still don't negotiate, still don't speak up. And I found the advice that was out there wholly unsatisfying. Essentially, the advice for speaking up is, well, just do it. Like, just be more confident. As if it's that easy. And it feels irresponsible because it puts the onus on the individual to speak up, right? If you're not speaking up, if you're not getting seen, heard, promoted, you're the problem. And that does damage versus, well, how did we get to this point where it's hard? What continues to contribute to it being difficult to speak up, particularly at work? Um, And wanting to do a more honest analysis of what's going on, which then gives us levers to figure out how do we do better? Your thoughtfulness on helping people unlearn silence. And, you know, we're talking about speaking up at work is what I love about you and the work that Mm -hmm. you do, Elaine. You know, you're right. I have talked and I know, you know, at work, there are managers who say, oh man, you know, you just got to speak up more, you know, Mm -hmm. in meetings, you just got to like tell people what you think. And I feel like what 
is often missing, and, and I don't think we actually talk about this enough, is it's not as easy mm-hmm. as one would think that you can't just click your finger and just be like, hey, I, I do have an idea. I want to speak up. There's yeah. so much. I mean, I don't know if you, it's not, I don't want to say it's not, it's just, you know, it's all this like mental load of maybe things that we were taught in our younger years, in our culture, maybe it's a bit of our personality. And I completely resonate with this because like I was mentioning earlier, you know, I was working in an industry where it was a lot of like dominant, extroverted, loud people. Mm -hmm. And I, truthfully, I was always seen as like the quiet Asian girl. Like, you know, (laughs) I knew that that's how people saw me. And it was frustrating. It was absolutely frustrating, but I get it, you know, Yes, some of it is like, I have to learn these skills to, of course, Mm -hmm. communicate better, communicate concisely. But a lot of it is like having and being in a workplace where people understand it's not just so easy. So Elaine, Mm -hmm. I want to just talk about, you know, in this book that you've written that's coming out in March on learning silence, I know you're, you've done so much research and, mm-hmm. and what have you learned and what, ha- what have you uncovered about silence and just speaking up at work that you'd love to share? Yeah. Well, let's actually take a step back because I can imagine some listeners thinking, well, like, isn't silence great? Aren't you supposed to have this kumbaya meditative moment? We need, you know, you need the pause. People need to be more thoughtful. I think that's absolutely true. And that's not the silence I'm talking about. I want you to have your meditative moment. And I want some people to stop and think before they speak. That would also make the world a better place. But to me, silence is when you have to edit out parts of yourself, right? Like the fact that you are a parent isn't acceptable because it lowers your credibility. No one's going to say that. But when people schedule happy hours at 5 p.m., you're like, I got to do pickup. And if I'm not home, then we've got the hangover in the family for multiple days. So the way that we work, are we supporting people or are we silencing some of their identities? I hear this a lot these days with the snow days in New York of I'm supposed to I'm supposed to work as if I'm not a parent and parent as if I don't work. And you could add any of those subordinated identities, race, gender, sexual orientation to it. And this pressure to edit out parts of yourself to conform to mainstream corporate America that was designed for white men is real. Silence is also when there's not enough room, space in the room for you to say what you think, because as we know with the Babel theory of leadership, we tend to assume that the more people talk, the more that they are leaders or demonstrating leadership. And that means that the loudest people get heard rather than the best ideas come forward. So really tackling the question of what have we learned about the parts of ourselves that aren't quote unquote acceptable at work? For many women, it's, oh, you're too emotional. And it's this likability competency trap where it's show enough emotion to show that you care and you're not a robot. But by the way, don't smile too much because then you're not credible. And it's just like, let me tear my hair out. I can't get it right. And you know what? You keep changing the target. And so it really, to me, is about how do we unlearn the ways that I'm silencing myself? There are definitely reasons why I'm holding back my thoughts from that meeting and doing that mental calculation that you mentioned, because by the way, I was brought up in a culture where I'm supposed to give deference and respect to my elders. 
And so that works really well when you're lower level, entry level in an organization, but then you get dinged later for not having executive presence or being able to show up. There's that level, right? And let me, as you said, let me own that and learn the skills then to A, remember that I have a voice. Because some of the challenge is if I have been solving for everyone else's needs and I have been rewarded for being a good team player, i.e. probably doing everyone else's job in addition to mine, then I forget that I might have needs, goals, hopes, concerns of my own. I'm so busy focusing on everyone else. And I will say this as a mother of a young child, I feel that even more deeply, right? You're so, you're acculturated to be caring, self-sacrificial, all these things. So where in that, is there room for me, my opinion, the things I matter, do I have a voice? And then there's the reactions that other people have of us. I imagine we've all been in that meeting where we finally say something and then, you know, maybe no one picks up on the comment. And I'm literally thinking like, did I say that out loud or did I just imagine it? And if we're not heard, that inclines us towards silence because why would we do all that work to show up, to speak up, just to be passed over in conversation or for the next role? So really looking at what ways do the leaders around us intentionally or unintentionally silence us? And what is so interesting about everything and what you just said is that oftentimes everything everything you just verbalized, Elaine, these are the millions of things that are running through our mm -hmm. head every mm -hmm. single day. Mm -hmm. When we're sitting in that meeting with our team, in that one-on-one -on -one conversation with our manager, yes, we may be talking about the work that's in front of us, but there's this mental dialogue that's going mm -hmm. in our head that's running should I say this? Should mm -hmm. I do that? Is that right? Is that wrong? Just like constantly second guessing yourself. And oh mm -hmm. my gosh, how exhausting is that? And it's like, you think that like, you know, work should just be about work, but there's so, <laughs> you know, yeah. Right. But there's so, I love it. You're like chuckling. Like work is not just about There's work. so much work, right? There's the emotional labor, there's the relational labor. And this is what gets me frustrated when people say, like, be more confident you need to go get some confidence or assertiveness training. It's like, no, I'm actually, it's not courage, even though courage is necessary. Courage is necessary, but not sufficient. I am doing that calculation. And some of it is subconscious, right? But I'm remembering the last manager that I had and the way that he shot me a look in that meeting that he didn't even have to say anything, but I interpreted or experienced that as being shut down. And all of those are the data points that are then in the meeting with us here. Can I push us forward though? Because I don't want to just leave us as like, yes, it's hard and you're going to have to do extra work all the time. Yes. So there's a question then of how do we change the calculation? What asks could we make of the people around us to increase the likelihood that it is easier for us to be heard? And the main way, or I, I would argue a really easy, low-hanging fruit way is actually to design your communication flows. Meaning, if we, for many of us, particularly if you're an introvert, it's easier to type than it is to talk in real time. And given that many of us are working on global teams, it actually makes sense to do that asynchronously anyways. 
So rather than defaulting to having to have a live one-on-one conversation, can we negotiate and agree to say, hey, I actually think best asynchronously. I'd love to offer my best thoughts on this project or this proposal. Let me sleep on that and put my thoughts to you in Slack. Right? If it's not time sensitive, giving yourself license to play to your strengths and also coaching and training the people around you to receive you and hear you in the way that is just lower energy and higher value to you for how you're actually communicating. Speaking up doesn't have to be speaking up live. What I love about what you just said, Elaine, is one of the strategies is really just setting people's expectations. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what you're saying. And mm-hmm. how we can all like, you know, for those of us who are, who are listening and who you're thinking like, yeah, how can I better, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's like speak up at work, what you're just saying is like, okay, how can we maybe even set our manager's expectations that would align with how we prefer to communicate? And you just said it like, Maybe for a lot of us introverted folks, we prefer to write, type things out and just communicating that. So your manager, for example, isn't just thinking like, where the heck did Jessica go? Like, you know, is she, is she there? Does she care? Right. But you are proactively letting them know so they understand. And I do think a good relationship like that, it's two ways. It's not just, you know, the deference in the sense where you just listen to whatever your manager tells you. I actually think managers in many ways... They appreciate if you actually have some ideas and make it a conversation. Yes. And notice sort of the one-two equation of that, which is let me frame it as to why it is in your interest to hear it from me in this way, right? I am doing the value proposition in the way that I am having the conversation with my manager. So, hey, i.e. if you want my best thoughts, I process best in this way. So I would like to, or what if we were to, depending on your relationship with your manager, right? But really saying, look, you're going to get the best out of me in this way, or I want our team um, to consider the best, not just the loudest ideas, right? Anyone can do this even hierarchically, but framing it not as I need this accommodation to communicate in this way, but this is how we're going to get to the best outcomes together. Mm, That's the key point. It's being able to articulate why it's a benefit for the team because you can produce better work if they are able to support you in this way. Mm -hmm. I love that. What else have you learned in terms of just like helping folks? And actually, before we even go there, you know, for everybody who's listening right now, you know, does this resonate with you? Does speaking up at work feel a bit challenging? You know, let us know. Let us know in the chat function. And, you know, what, what are some of the, you know, we mentioned this earlier, you know, kind of like that mental dialogue that goes into your head where, you know, what is it that's, what is it that you're thinking, whether you're in that meeting that's making you go, oh, it is so hard to speak up. Why is that? Let us know. So Elaine, you know, in writing this book on learning silence, you know, what else have you discovered that, you know, actually what has surprised you, you know, during your research, you know, as you were going through this process of writing this book? Yeah, I, can I join as an audience member too? And just say one of the ways that one of the reasons it can be really hard to speak up is because of that internal dialogue, particularly for people who are thoughtful. So it's like, I have some candid feedback to give you, but I also don't want to offend you, 
right? We connect those two thoughts with but, which we know is the great eraser. And so because I don't want to offend you, then I'm not going to offer my perspective. And I would argue that the opportunity is to replace but with and, right? And to, in fact, share the dilemma of, I really want to offer these thoughts to you. And I'm worried about how it might land with you because I know you're working really hard, or I know that you're juggling a lot. And most people in hearing that dilemma, it actually cultivates empathy and openness. So if I were typing in chat, that's what I would type. Mm -hmm. and but the, the thing that really surprised me in writing this book is twofold. Number one, how universal silence is. You know, I came to this idea because I realized a lot of the really, you know, scandalous things, the things that whistleblowers end up reporting, it could have been stopped earlier if someone had said something or people said something and it wasn't heard. And certainly as we look at geopolitical dynamics right now, there's a lot of conversation about silence of who's speaking up, who's heard, does my voice matter? So I was surprised at the universality of it because it is certainly individual silence, but also organizational silence. It is at home, it is at work. Um, and the other piece that really stuck out to me in research is how deep and invasive silence is. So having to edit yourself keeps your nervous system on chronic high alert, which then ends up leading to hair loss and digestive issues and insomnia and um, our inability to talk about things means that more of us internalize those things and we increase isolation and loneliness. Uh, which has been cited, you know, as as worth worse in terms of health risk than cancer or smoking. So that just blew me away. Of this is a real thing, you know, silence is real, and it is going to continue to undercut each of our effectiveness and influence our relationships and undercut our ability to collaborate at work unless we're aware of our relationship with silence. So I would be asking, what have I learned? Where have I learned to be silent? In what ways might I be silencing the people around me? Because I, most leaders I work with are really well-intentioned, right? Like they would never intentionally silence people. And yet our actions, because we're human, end up having that impact on the very people we lead. I am absolutely blown away in terms of, you know, as you were talking, I've been listening and reading what folks are saying about this frustrating paradox that they feel that causes them to stay silent. And a lot of you are saying how, you know, you'll do this, but then you'll question that. You'll do that, but somebody will do this. And then you start going down this like spot mental spiral where you're like, you know what? Forget it. Right. And it's not like we don't try. Right. And that's kind of like what I'm getting at. Like, especially for those of you who wrote in the chat, it's like we want to say, our thoughts. We want to share. And when we try, it's not received in the way that we were hoping. And it's not like we need like a grand applause or people to be like, amazing, amazing, right? But sometimes just that acknowledgement of just being heard is sometimes just like all we need. And you know, for all of you who 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 are listening and resonate with this, like, you know, I think Elaine and I, like, we feel you. Like we, I think both of us have experienced something like this where when you try, but then you second guess, or when you try, you're not, it's almost as mm -hmm. if like, it's not like you're, you're just not even heard, right? And how frustrating is that? 
Yeah, and I am struck, Jessica, by this question of why do we speak up? Because there's a, and it's, I think it's a really valid question. What makes it worth it to you to put a stake in the ground or offer a difference of perspective to take that risk if the environment around you is one in which it is really costly to speak up or use your voice? And so in chapter eight of the book, when I'm talking about how to speak up, it's actually starting with why. What makes it worth it? What matters more to you than that short-term discomfort? Is it that you're not okay with inequity in the workplace? Is it that you think women should be heard just as well as men? You know, is it that you don't want the next generation to go through what you had to go through? What's your bigger why? And being able to anchor to that bigger why, success is not dependent on whether they're receptive to it or they hear you, even though we hope that they will. Some of that is their work to do, and we can't actually do their work for us. Believe me, I've tried. <laughs> Right. Are they going to hear you is up to them. But are you going to use your voice? And by use your voice, I mean, move through the world in the way you intend for the values and the things that you believe in. That's up to us. But remembering to anchor to why does this matter? Why would I speak up? Really helps us weather the storm of whatever reaction they might have. And the fourth anchor in that chapter is also embrace resistance in that people often, particularly voice, voice is a status claiming activity, right? And particularly those of us who haven't traditionally been expected to use our voices, we then are breaking the status quo. And every time you break the status quo, there changes hard, right? People, everybody sort of has to adjust. And so expecting that there might be resistance helps in that when it shows up, you're like, oh, there it is. Yeah, that's that's the resistance Elaine was talking about. And understanding it, what's behind it, might we learn anything from it? Or just there it is, right? It's not personal. It's not me. This is what happens when we shift the norms of who gets to speak. But the only way that we shift the norms over time is more of us actually doing that so that it becomes normal that Jessica and Elaine might actually be having a conversation. Right? I remember more than a decade ago, um, someone saying to me, Korean American colleague of mine, you know, you and I are never going to get to facilitate together because a client wouldn't want two Asian women to have a conversation. Then it becomes an Asian issue rather than we're both leadership experts and facilitators. But the more of us do it, the more of us show up, the more it becomes normed that we're not just pigeonholed, but we actually are seen for the breadth of skills and gifts that we actually do bring. I love that because, you know, what we were talking about earlier, it's like, it's so frustrating when somebody just says, oh, just speak up, just try to be more confident, right? Just that sentence in a, alone, it feels very dismissive. Like, let, that's just what it is. It's it's dismissive. You can't just be confident, like, as if you just click your fingers and you suddenly are. But I like what you're saying, Elaine, because what you're saying is, okay, let's step back and find and identify what is your why for speaking mm -hmm. up? Because I think once you can identify that why, that I think, and you can tell me if this is right or wrong, but I think that actually will help build that confidence that we've mm. been talking about. But mm. just telling somebody, be confident, it doesn't work that way. It's like, why should you speak up? Why should you share your thought? 
you know, your why may be different from my why, you know, it it makes me think back to a story where, you know, when I was working in news, I, I had a a, a challenging manager in in the sense where it was very clear she had favorites. And Mm. it's so hard. It's so hard to work in an environment like that, where you Mm -hmm. feel like no matter what you do, the better projects, the visibility, like all of it is just going to be handed off to somebody else who, who, who she likes. And mm-hmm. I remember in the beginning, it wasn't always this way. Like, it's not like she like mm-hmm. identified like, oh, I just don't want to give Jessica these projects. But it's like, once I was like, well, let me just try to say something. And, and, and it was being dismissed. For mm-hmm. me, I remember thinking, well, why should I even try? Mm-hmm. Why should I even continue when it's clear it's not making a difference, right? Mm-hmm. And so when and you saying and you suggesting like, oh, think about your why, it made me go, well, what changed for me? Mm-hmm. Well, instead of me dwelling on that, like, oh, this is not going to make a difference. Oh, she already has her favorites. Instead of me dwelling on that, I was trying to think about, well, yes, maybe she already has her set ways. But Mm -hmm. me speaking up, me trying to find the ability to talk and share in meetings, it's actually helping that muscle in me, Mm -hmm. right? I may not be able to change her point of view. I may not be able to change her mind. But Mm -hmm. at least me doing that and expecting that resistance, it makes it a lot less jarring in many ways. Yeah. Yeah, I would say understanding your why and I love that for you, it was really personal, right? It is, it doesn't matter if she hears me, this is me building my own muscle. This is my own personal development and let me own that. The other thing that helps build that confidence and shift the calculation is when you actually have positive data points in your like cache of data points, right? And and I say this because when I started writing this book, my husband, who is white from the Midwest, said, that's not a book I could ever write because I've never been silenced. And I was like, yes, because you are a white male that has always been normed in corporate America. Um, But that means that he has a different data set, right? He has like from high school onwards, when he spoke up, someone listened. I don't have that same data set, but I can do low stakes experiments to build out that data set. And so, you know, in the book I talk about asking a rideshare driver to open the back window. And I literally did that dance of mental calculation that you're, I was like, I don't know, he like doesn't seem happy today. It's 20, it, the GPS says it's only 22 minutes. It doesn't really matter. Like I can, in Chinese, run so, right? Like I can hang on and endure for 22 minutes and then traffic picked up and I was like, oh no, I'm not going to make it. I'm like, well, we're on a populated freeway. So the likelihood of me ending up in a ditch is probably pretty small. Like I went there and then it was like, well, I'm probably never going to see him again. So does it really matter? And this fundamentally gets to taking up space. Do my needs matter? And I finally said, sir, do you mind opening the back window? And he didn't say anything back. He just pressed a button. And it was like the crispest, coolest, freshest air I've ever breathed. <laughs> but is it where, where are you in your own comfort level right now with speaking up? Is it asking a question in a meeting? Is it writing an extra two lines in an email follow-up to your manager right now? 
wherever you are, to me, there's no judgment. It's just acknowledgement of what's currently comfortable, what's currently not comfortable. Where do you want to grow in your skill set, like you mentioned, Jessica, and how do you take it to the next level? And by low stakes in, in experiments, I mean things that don't really matter that much to you like the rideshare driver, or if the barista at the coffee shop gets your name wrong, do you correct them? Like you're probably never gonna see them again. Or maybe some of you are like, no, but it's my favorite coffee shop, so I don't wanna offend the barista, right? But what are the low stakes places where you can build that muscle so that you get some data points in your own cache of data that says, oh yeah, I spoke up. And not only did it not ruin me or decimate me or undermine my career, but it actually had an impact. Your Uber story resonates with me so much, I have to say, because it's that dialogue in our head of like, we don't want to inconvenience others. Oh, we can endure this. Oh, we don't want to bother. Like, we're just so, in many ways, like so considerate of mm -hmm. others that it kind mm -hmm. of mutes ourselves, right? Mm -hmm. So it actually makes me think of, so because I started my career as a journalist, we mm -hmm. learned a lot of like, you know, communication strategies in the sense where we just got to like put ourselves out there. Mm -hmm. and, and I'm going to share one of the things that did help me. It may not work for everybody, but it does work for me. And what this strategy is, is, you know, when I was a journalist, I was always taught it's better for you to say what you want to say, ask for what you want, because the worst they can say is no. Mm -hmm. And that actually has truly carried mm -hmm. and stayed with me the whole time. And it's almost, and it kind of goes back to maybe that expecting the resistance that you were talking about earlier, mm -hmm. that, you know what, just say the darn thing. And if they say no, it's okay. Yeah. If they say no, maybe it's just a redirect. Maybe mm -hmm. it's just, you got to think about approaching it a little differently. So mm -hmm. in many ways, expecting that no, not being surprised by that mm -hmm. no can lessen the, the, the hit a little bit. That's helpful. Totally. And I would say that writing any book like turns you inside out mm -hmm. and writing a book on unlearning silence while unlearning your own silence to me has felt next level because this book would not exist if I hadn't taken that very mindset that you mentioned. And I was like, look, I'm going to try to find a traditional publisher who might be interested. The worst that can happen is everyone says no. And then 16 publishers were interested and the book sold at auction and it's slated to be translated in 10 languages. All of these things that really are mind boggling, but does also start with, hey, let me try. The worst that could happen is no. And what I love about what Selena Rizmani says is it's not just no or failure. It's either getting what you want or learning something from it. And either way, I think you are learning something of, oh, I can ask that question, I can state that thought, and it won't kill me. Um, and I don't say that lightly, given our current environment, right? But a lot of these things, particularly at work, even if there's pushback and blowback, the worst is no. And also, how do we frame that no to ourselves? Which is, okay, no, like, move on. What's the next thing? Or what's behind that no? What can I learn about the interest of what's behind that resistance so I can craft a different option? All of that is conversation, even if it is slower and more exhausting than the communication we might hope for. This um, 
it made me think of a, another story that I wanted to share because when I, I remember when I was working in news, I had a lot of anxiety in terms of like same thing, you know, just talking and just speaking up in meetings, right? Mm -hmm. And it was particularly challenging because every morning we always had like a, a team meeting. We called it our editorial meeting and everybody was required to, to share and pitch their stories of the day. And I remember there were definitely certain instances where even just driving into work, I could already feel like the heart palpitations of like, oh my God, okay, I have to like speak up in this meeting. I have to pitch my stories. You know, I have to be heard, right? Mm -hmm. So, and I just think about, I just think and reflect about the the little tricks that I did to like psych myself to like, you know, feel more like at ease. And I remember one thing was like, as I would be driving to work, I would like pump up music. <laughs> Yeah, it's real. Make myself feel better and energized. That's the word. Yes. More energized when I would yes. walk through that door. Yeah, that just reminded me of that. Yeah, I love that. Um, and that's all of Amy Cuddy's research around power poses and how our bodies are adjusting to taking up space. And certainly, music can do that. The other piece that I mentioned in the book is who's your team? Mm -hmm. Because none of us, even though speaking up can feel like a solitary act there's actually a lot of behind the scenes engineering you can do, right? If you tell your manager, if you've got that sort of trusting relationship, one of the things I'm really working on is X. Um, and what helps me to bring forth my best thoughts, again, I'm share, you know, highlighting the value proposition for them. What helps me is if I know what part of this presentation is mine to share. Right? Like, let's not do things on the fly. Presumably, we have given it some forethought. You can assign me ahead of time. Or on this next client call, well, what if I were to own that question about budget because I've been most in the weeds, right? You can do that forethought ahead of time. But I also found the invitation from someone else to say, hey, Jessica, what do you think, right? A couple of those primers, again, you're building the data set of confidence, of experience, I can do this, but it's not something we do alone. So who might you invite on your team to say, hey, Aria, what do you think, right? Can you just invite me in? Because once I get that floor, I can run with it. Um, and then the other piece is what voices are you listening to? Because the voices around us so often when we are the first, the few, or the only are telling us, you don't fit, you don't belong, you are naturally othered. And for me, I would not be as sane as I am if I didn't have a best friend who regularly just texted me like, you do you. You know, this is one of my favorite things that made it into the final cut of the book is that my best friend texts me, you do you. So when I'm doubting myself, should I do this? Should I not? She's like, well, what do you want to do? And I'm like, oh, I actually matter. What a novel idea. I could have my own way. What a novel idea. Again, it's not how I, I was brought up. But having someone, whether it's a friend, a spouse, a work you know, bestie, that just nudges you toward the version of yourself that you want to be. And it feels like for those of you who are volleyball players, and I'm not, so I don't know why I'm using this analogy, right? Like have someone do the layup so that you can do the volley, I think is the analogy. You can tell us in chat if that was totally off. But life and speaking up is not a solitary act, is not a solitary sport. So who is on your team and how can you invite them into your journey? I love that. 
find a cheerleader, but also be a cheerleader for somebody else. Totally. And like, not just cheerleader, but tactical teammate, right? They're doing something with the volley. I'm going to call it the volley. Um, the layup. I'm going to stop I, don't know. I can't help you with that. I, Elaine, I feel like, which by the way, we're about to wrap up here and it, mm-hmm. it kind of makes me sad because I'm like, we can continue talking about this. And I've just been like, so enjoying this conversation with mm-hmm. you, Elaine, especially all the folks who are just sharing, you know, your own thoughts in the chat function. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's very thoughtful, just kind of like what you all are saying, which of course for me and, and maybe for you, Elaine, it's just this, this, this is resonating. And, and mm-hmm. I think I just wanted to say like, you know, none of us are alone in this. So mm-hmm. as we wrap up here, Elaine, what's kind of like, I call it a golden nugget. What's like one golden nugget you would love to mm-hmm. have our listeners, our audience walk away with today? Yeah. This isn't just recency bias. Cause I wrote about it on my newsletter this week. And the newsletter was titled don't shoot on me because when it comes to voice and it comes to leadership and it comes to life, there are so many expectations that others have of us or that we have ourselves of what our voice should look and sound like, of what speaking up at work should look and sound like. And a lot of times those models are not actually of models of ourselves with our full identities you know, it is what does a white man wearing a light blue button down shirt say and sound like versus who am I? So my encouragement and nugget would be that your voice is going to look and sound different than anyone else's. And again, your voice is how you move through the world, the thoughts that you have, the gifts that you bring. It's going to look different than anyone else's because you are a unique individual with your life experiences and wiring and thoughts. And so when it looks different, that to me is a sign of success. Rather than trying to fit ourselves into the boxes that we were given, it's going to look different and it's going to, and that is a good thing. Um, And I know fundamentally, I can't wait to hear more of everyone's voices, moving through the world, contributing what we see and what we have to offer, and also excited about the freedom that comes with each of us um, for us if we're doing that, right? Not having to spend that energy doing the calculation, contorting ourselves, but just getting to be. So that's the hope and the opportunity, I think, of unlearning silence. I love that, Elaine. I appreciate you so much. And I will mm-hmm. say the the thing that I took away, and actually, for those of you who are here, let us know what is your mm-hmm. takeaway from today's event. We would love to hear. Just type it into the chat. You know, I'll say for me, I think what has helped is expecting that resistance, mm-hmm. right? What's the worst people can say, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, that why that you mentioned, Elaine, where it's like, you know, it sometimes it's deeper. And finding mm-hmm. that deep why can give you that confidence, right? Mm-hmm. And propel you forward to be like, you know what? Let me just say what I have to say. I know I'm smart. I know I'm capable. I know I can add value. Let me just say it. And hey, what's the worst thing that can happen? I think for me, and that's what I would want everyone to take away with, like, it's that. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's okay. So 
As we wrap up here, I just want to share with everybody a few call to actions. So I'm going to drop drop two links in the chat here. And the first link is actually a link to Elaine's book, Unlearning Silence. So be sure to get it. It comes out in March. Pre-order it. Elaine's book is going to be huge and amazing. So there's a link for that. It's in the chat. Um, the second link is actually um, a LinkedIn learning course that I have actually titled Speaking Up at Work. It was a course I created with LinkedIn Learning, gosh, about like three or four years ago. And hundreds of thousands of people have watched it already. And I think it fits perfectly with this topic. I mean, it's called Speaking Up at Work. So be sure to check out those two links. I just dropped it into the chat. Um, Elaine's book and the LinkedIn learning course. So with that, Elaine, if people want to stay in contact with you, heck, if they have questions for you, how can they reach out? Yeah, absolutely. Follow me, connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, I am always excited to hear from different people with different perspectives. And if you want to join the monthly newsletter, it is hello.elainelynherring.com backslash newsletter. Free tips every month on how to use your voice. I love that. Okay. Elaine, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Hi there. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you're inspired to begin improving your communications confidence, well, we'd love to help. Join our monthly communications membership where I teach a brand new communications workshop every single month. Or become a VIP member to access our best communications articles for life. Or maybe get one-on-one -on -one coaching with one of our board of communicators. We offer so many ways for you to learn and it's all housed on our website, soulcastmedia.com. Check it out and happy communicating. Thank you.